Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Oh, gracious Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise for your word which you have given to us. Lord, we pray that we would have a heart to be able to love your word, love to, to understand what you have taught us of yourself, but also to teach us of ourselves. Lord, that we would be bold enough to be able to speak and proclaim Your Word truthfully to those around us. Lord, to our friends and neighbors, but also even to kings and those who are in high places. Lord, let us delight in Your Word. Let us love Your Word. Lord, let us set our minds and our hearts towards Your commandments. Let us meditate on them that we might be able to know them, know You, know ourselves pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear now the word of the Lord from Mark chapter 14, verses 26 to 31. This is God's holy, inerrant, infallible word. Please take heed how you hear. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to them, Even though they all fall away, I will not. Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, If I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. Grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. I want you to think about the best week of your life. And what I mean by the best week of your life is not so much about an enjoyable week, maybe a vacation you can think of, fond memories or moments in your life, but maybe your best week of your best achievements. The week in which you can look back and you can see these achievements that you have accomplished. Maybe there's months or years leading up to this last week, and this week was just the capstone of those, those, that goals. This week where you knocked it completely out of the park. You look back and you thought of, of how great a job you have done. I, I can think of different times in my life, uh, career-based achievements. You know, as a carpenter, this would happen often. You would, you would have jobs in which you look back of, what you have accomplished, and you would be able to look and say, you'd be happy to say, I built that. That bathroom that I redesigned, I did that. I changed this, this bathroom that was falling through the floor. And now it's quite pleasant to be in. For a kitchen, you, you install a whole new kitchen. You rip out an old one, put in a new one. Sometimes, even as a parent, I look back and, and think, I, I, I was very patient this week. I prayed a lot for my children. And not some of those angry prayers where you're praying for their hearts to be able to change, but positive prayers. Maybe in your marriage. My marriage where, oh, I've done a great job this week loving my wife as Christ loved the church. I've been very self-sacrificial. I've given her the bigger bowl of ice cream. I've I cared for her. I've 
sought to be able to make her coffee and all of these other things, or even as a pastor, I've done a great job. I've I've really cared this well for the flock. I've handled myself as, as, as a godly man full of character. Now I want you to think about your week that would come to mind in this. Whatever that might be, career achievements, marriage, parents, uh, achievements. Maybe it's just something you, you did that you never thought you would be able to do. And you're very proud of yourself. Now I want you to think about the opposite week. An opposite week in which you would say this is the worst week of your life. You didn't accomplish what you set out to do. Everything went the wrong way. Instead of knocking it out of the park, you struck out. Even though you tried your best, all that you got was your worst. Now often, these weeks are more frequent than the first. As a carpenter, you you start a job and everything is horribly wrong. What you thought would be a short little task is now almost a complete rebuild. As a parent, often I feel this, how I have not pointed them to Christ, have not modeled God's love for His children. I've been blunt, short, tired, impatient. We're in our marriage. I've done many things wrong, unhelpful, feeling absent, focused on work rather than our home. Even as a pastor, this, this comes up quite often. How, how can God use a sinner such as I? I want you to think about that week for you. That worst week in your life. Now everybody has these weeks. And the disciples had these weeks. And as they shared stories of their great moments and accomplishments. I'm sure they came back very energetic after being sent out two by two. Coming back to Jesus and said, I preached the Gospel. People's hearts were changed. I cast out unclean spirits. And they listened to me. But often I think the disciples had more weeks that were of the latter. The last week of Jesus' earthly ministry is one of those weeks. And I'm sure they would never want to be able to relive this. Now before we get to this passage, I do want to point out that this is an interesting thing about the Bible. Many people think the disciples made up these stories. Or they uh, made them sound better. Years down the track. But if you were going to make up a story, why would you make up a story where you are not the hero? You are the failure. You are the one who is unfaithful. One thing to be able to think about. But in this, we see this chapter of this culmination of this last week of Jesus' earthly ministry. The religious leaders saw Jesus as a threat, a false prophet, had no evidence to be able to back up that claim. But the horrific thing about chapter 40 is is this does not come from the religious leaders. It comes from within. All this betrayal, abandonment, denial comes from those who are closest to Jesus. 
But this is the story of any believer. Amidst all this, the disciples' unfaithfulness, you have the great glorious hope of Christ's faithfulness. The Son of Man who came to be able to suffer and die and three days later be raised. Nothing would stop God's sovereign plan to save His people. Not even their unfaithfulness. What's more, Jesus knew that was all that was going to happen and He still willingly went to the cross. So they celebrate the Passover together and then they go and sing a hymn, a psalm, most likely Psalm 118. Now if they do speak of Psalm 118, it's an interesting thing to consider because they, they sing of God's faithfulness to His promises even amongst those who are unfaithful in the people of Israel. And we're not told specifically what psalm they sing. But then we find out this information as they're up in Mount Olives again. Jesus says to them, you will all fall away. He's not speaking to those on the outside of His ministry. He's not speaking to the religious leaders. He's speaking to the twelve disciples who are the closest. The twelve that have been with Him as He's fled places, as people have tried to be able to stone Him, persecute Him. They have stuck, stuck by Him thick and thin. And yet Jesus says that you will all fall away. And Jesus quotes Zechariah 13.7 His disciples explaining, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. The quote has two interesting aspects. Look at briefly. The first is the use of the personal pronoun that I will strike the shepherd. I speaks of God. God is the one who is striking the shepherd. Or as Isaiah explains, in Isaiah chapter 53, that famous chapter we know, it was the Lord's will to crush him. This is all God's sovereign plan of salvation for his people. The second aspect of this quote that is interesting is that the sheep will be scattered. That they're no longer kept safe by the shepherd. And then they're, therefore they all disperse. This is back to what Jesus said before He quoted Zechariah, that you will all fall away. The word for fall away is, is where we get the, 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 the word scandal. This public scandal. Now the original meaning of this word in the Greek is not so much to scandalize, but as to stumble or a stumbling block. Famously used by Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Therefore, if a food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat unless I make my, lest I make my brother stumble. But the word is not merely just to be able to stumble, to cause someone else to be able to sin or to sin yourself. But it goes deeper. It normally just has the sense to be able to fall into sin. When Paul says that to cause my brother to stumble, it's not merely that he's, he's stumbling over a few stones and then catching himself back up. It's that he plummets into sin. 
that this stumbling forces drives him into sin. But Jesus teaches his disciples that they will fall away, they will scandalize, they will stumble into sin. But as the Gospel of John points out, they would not finally nor totally fall away. You might be able to understand one of the twelve disciples betraying Jesus. Although this is difficult for us in, to be able to understand as we're reading it. We understand through hindsight this is what the Lord did. But Jesus doesn't explain that just Judas betrayed Jesus. But all of His disciples will fall away. Now, clearly we saw in chapter uh, verse 21 that Judas' betrayal was worse. But in all of this, all of his disciples will leave him. Now, Christ has told them three times what he has come to do as the Son of Man. That the Son of Man have come to suffer, to die, to be punished by the religious leaders, to be buried, to rise again after three days. And this time is coming. And His disciples fall away in this drastic, dark hour in Jesus' life. The shepherd is struck and the sheep will run. We see the scattered sheep, but we also see a self-assured sheep in amongst this in verse 29. Once more, Peter opens his mouth with a beautiful statement, or so it seems. He speaks of his loyalty to Jesus. Now we must agree that this is a bold commitment. That we must understand that Peter is not merely saying this to try and impress people. That Peter truly believes this. That everyone else will fall away. But he points it out, I will not. Now we can look at this statement, I think, in two ways. Either it was haughty, arrogant, or an honest. First, if it was haughty, or he said it arrogantly, Peter looks at others and sees their many weaknesses and their many failings. And he thinks and he elevates himself higher than he ought. And he thinks that he's better than everybody else. Although we cannot know for certain, this would assume the worst in Peter. But the second option is that of honesty. And he said what he meant, and he meant what he said. He truly believed nothing would stop him from following Jesus. That when presented with an option to be able to leave, before, Peter said to the Lord, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed. And have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And Peter makes this bold statement that I will not leave you. This honest claim, I think. Where else would I go? Why would I abandon you? says, and we have believed. We have had faith. He thought this 
thought about it before, and his answer was simple. Where would we go? He says there's three main reasons why I wouldn't leave. John chapter 6. Jesus has the words of life. The disciples have believed. And thirdly, that Jesus is the Holy One of God. Peter has no reason to believe that he would betray or deny Jesus. Peter had told Jesus that he had left everything to be able to follow Jesus. This last three years, he has sought to be able to leave everything he has be able to follow Jesus. Why would that change? And in his mind, there's nothing that he could think of that would make him want to be able to fall away. But no matter what Peter's motive, whether he looks at others and sees their weaknesses and thinks he's better than them, or whether he looks at himself and truly believes in all honest, this honest commitment, Either way, he focused on what he was going to do. To not fall away. He was either sure of himself because of what others looked like, and he elevated himself, or he was sure of himself in the commitment. No matter how well-intended he was and how we are, We are unable to do anything for our own salvation. Hence, this is why we need salvation. We cannot just do better. Even the most self-disciplined person cannot stop from sinning. But even if they could, hypothetically they cannot, but even if they could, They could not undo the sin that they had done. They would still need salvation. The Westminster Catechism puts it this way, that every sin deserves the wrath and curse of God. But Peter says that he will remain faithful to the end. Yet, like most times when Peter, although well-intended, opens his mouth, Jesus turns and corrects him. Jesus tells Peter that you won't even make it through the night. You think you're going to be faithful to the end? You're not going to even be faithful to the end of this night. This shows the reality. Even a well-intended and deep-hearted promise is unable to be kept or done. You know this to be the case. If you make a promise or a commitment... That as of today, right now, you'll avoid eating all desserts. Then what happens? Moments later, someone comes and presents before you a delicious, mouth-watering, triple-stacked chocolate cake. Chocolate cake begins to cry out, to call to you. It doesn't take long, right? Right? You have this prior commitment, a well-intended promise. But what do we end up doing? Tomorrow. I'll start tomorrow. But even then, you might have moments of deep sorrow, remorse, regret of how you treated the ones you love or how you've let them down. 
Or you have this deep conviction from hearing the Word preached or through your reading of the Scripture. You are truly moved. And you see your sin for what it is. But yet moments later, you're back to where you began. And Peter is convinced, although you might say foolishly, that Jesus is incorrect. That He is right. Peter believes that He will remain faithful until death. That He would never deny Christ. We all know how that goes. And who was right. Now we can read about Peter and the other disciples and we can get proud about their pride. We hear of their mistakes. And think, how could someone be so foolish? How could someone who, who knew who Christ was, who saw all these signs and wonders, who heard all of His sermons, end up betraying Him or denying Him Walking away, abandoning Him. But in the reality, we do this all the time. We might not say exactly what Peter says, but we think what Peter thought. We think the call of a disciple is that we just need to do something. We need to do better. The lack of growth in our life it is because of lack of us. And if we begin here, we begin to walk down this endless road. A road that is helpless. Hopeless. There is nothing that we can do except acknowledge our need for Christ. Discipleship is never about doing. It's always about being. Being united to Christ. Now, in that union to Christ, as we're united to Christ, we become more like Christ. So it affects what we do. But it being is always the start. It's always about our union to Christ. And any change that happens is not because you are trying harder, but the Spirit working But in all of this, in these pages of Scripture, we see the scattered sheep, the self-assured sheep, but we see the steadfast shepherd. In life, I think you can be assured of two things. The first, that we will fail, and we will be unfaithful. We see that in this passage where the disciples are failures, you might say. They're unfaithful. Even if they're well-intended. The greater thing that we need to be reminded of in this passage is that we can be assured that Christ remains faithful. We need to understand in this passage, it is everyone who falls away from Christ, but Christ does not fall away. He remains steadfast amid this persecution and this tribulation. That it is Peter who promised, and but failed to keep his promise, 
But it is Jesus who keeps Peter's promise. That Jesus went to the cross for Peter. Peter said, I will lay down my life for you, Jesus. And Jesus ended up being the one laying down his life for Peter. Peter thought he would die for Christ, but it is Christ who died for him. Jesus said, I will die for you, Peter. Because you are unfaithful, I will remain faithful. I will die the death that you should have died or the death that you promised to have died. No one is ever saved because they are entirely faithful. After all, no one has ever been faithful. However, everyone who has believed in Jesus Christ and put their faith in Him, their union to Christ, will be saved. They are not saved because of faithfulness, but because of Christ's faithfulness. Paul puts it this way in his second letter to Timothy. If we are faithless, He remains faithful, for He cannot deny Himself. In all the pages of Scripture, we see the faithfulness of God to an unfaithful people. Why would that change? Paul asks the question of the Israelites in chapter 3 of the Epistle to the Romans. Does their unfaithfulness nullify the faithfulness of God. That Israel have been unfaithful from the beginning. But does their unfaithfulness make God then not faithful to His promise? And His answer is a huge, resounding, by no means. We might lie to each other or even lie to ourselves, well-intended promises that we will remain faithful until the end. But we will lie to ourselves deliberately sometimes, often falsely, we think falsely. But God is no liar. He cannot deny Himself. He will bring about what it is promised. And if we think we have done everything to be able to earn our salvation, then our salvation comes from work, not by grace. If we think that this thought to completion not only would be be judged by good works. Again, I think you could argue that there's no such good thing as good works because even a good intended, well-intended work is not for the ultimate purpose of glorifying God. But hypothetically, then we would not only be judged for our good works, but we would also then have to be judged for our bad works. And if we think our faithfulness is going to get us into heaven, we are surely mistaken. And we have no assurance on earth. We cannot be sure of the promises. But the Bible does not teach that you are saved through faithfulness. But you are saved through Christ who is faithful. There is a great difference. One looks at our own works, and the other looks at Christ's works. One looks at our own faithfulness, the other looks at Christ's faithfulness. One looks at our own promises that we make and have not kept, and the other looks at the promises made and kept by Christ. And Peter on this night was looking to himself and not Christ. The disciples were all united, unified, explaining they would remain faithful. Yet within hours, not even a day, 
They would all be scattered like sheep, and the shepherd struck. In Ezekiel chapter 34, the Lord spoke through Ezekiel and said, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep, and I will seek them out, as a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep, that they have been scattered. And I will seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on the day of the cloud and thick darkness. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy, and I will feed them in justice. Here you see in this passage of of all of the unfaithfulness of disciples, you notice what he said in verse 28. But after I am raised, I will go before you to Galilee. That he, his sheep will be scattered. But he is the faithful shepherd who will gather his sheep once more. You see this in Peter, John chapter 20, where Peter asks, Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Feed my sheep. Three times, this glorious faithfulness is shown to Peter in amongst his unfaithfulness. This is why we sing, great is thy faithfulness, not great is my faithfulness. Even in this dark and depressing chapter of betrayal and denial, abandonment, all those who forsaken Christ, Everyone else has fallen away from Christ, but Christ remains faithful to what the Father had sent Him to do. Christ does not falter. He does not fade. He does not forsake them. He is steadfast to the end. And I say this often, and I mean this all every time. Thank God for Christ. Because even on your best day of your best week, that is not enough. Think about all those Terrible weeks you have failed and faltered. You're a forsaken Christ. Even on my best day, I would be unable to save myself, let alone all of my bad days. But I need Christ. I need His faithfulness because no matter how good I think I am, I can never be good enough. As the timeless truth is written in a hymn by Edward Moot. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ, my righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Continues later in a different stanza. When He shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in Him be found. In Him, my righteousness alone and faultless to stand before the throne. Do not look to yourself. Even well-intended promises will fail. But Christ will not. Let's go to Lord in prayer. O gracious Heavenly Father, we give You thanks and praise for Your Word. Lord, as we see throughout all of the Scriptures that even the most well-intended of Your saints 
fails, does not do what they ought to do or does not do what You have required in Your law, Lord, that they turn their backs against You. Lord, that they are unfaithful. They go and seek other gods. They elevate themselves in the place of God. Lord, we see this throughout all of Scripture. But yet, right throughout all of that is that that lace, that thread of Your faithfulness, Your steadfast love to those unfaithful people. Lord, that in Christ He came. And although they all abandoned Him, He did not abandon them. Lord, we pray that we would live with this truth and reality in our mind. That we would not trust in any sweet frame, whether that be our own confidence, our pride, our foolishness, but we would only trust in Jesus' name. We would lean on Him, the One who is faithful to the end. Lord, help us to do that. Help us to be able to look to Christ in all circumstances. We pray in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Seven Springs Presbyterian Church began in 1874 and is a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Glade Spring, Virginia. Please join us for worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. for His glory and His gospel.